0: Book One, Chapter Five of Lord Tony's Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Lord Tony's Wife by Emuska Ortsey. Book One, Chapter Five The Nest. Part One there are lovely days in england sometimes in november or december days when a departing year strives to make us forget that winter is nigh and autumn smiles gentle and benignant Caressing with a still tender kiss the last leaves of the scarlet oak Which linger on the boughs and touching up with a vivid brush the evergreen verdure of bay-trees of Ilex and of yew. the sky is of that pale translucent blue which dwellers in the south never see with the soft transparency of an aquamarine, as it fades into the misty horizon at midday and at dusk the thrushes sing kiss me quick kiss me quick kiss me quick in the naked branches of old acacias and chestnuts and the robins don their crimson waistcoats and dart in and out among the coppice and through the feathery arms of larch and pine and the sun which tips the prickly points of holly leaves with gold Joins in this merry make-believe that winter is still a very very long way off and that mayhap He has lost his way altogether and is never coming to this balmy beautiful land again Just such a day was the penultimate one of November 1793 when lady Anthony Dewhurst sat at a desk in the wide bay window of the drawing-room in Coomwich Hall Trying to put into a letter to Lady Blakeney all that her heart would have wished to express of love and gratitude and happiness. Three whole days had gone by since that exciting night when, before break of day in the dimly lighted old church, in the presence of two or three faithful friends, she had plighted her troth to Lord Antony. Even whilst other kind friends, including his royal highness, formed part of the little conspiracy which kept her father occupied and, if necessary, would have kept Monsieur Martin Roget out of the way. Since then her life had been one continuous dream of perfect bliss From the moment when after the second religious ceremony in the Roman Catholic Church She found herself alone in the carriage with milor and felt his arms so strong and yet so tender closing round her and his lips pressed to hers in the first masterful kiss of complete possession until this hour when she saw his tall elegant figure hurrying across the garden toward the gate and suddenly turning toward the window whence he knew that she was watching him Every hour and every minute had been nothing but unalloyed happiness Even there where she had looked for sorrow and difficulty her path had been made smooth for her Her father who she had feared would prove hard and irreconcilable Had been tender and forgiving to such an extent that tears almost of shame would gather in her eyes whenever she thought of him As soon as she arrived at Coomwich Hall she had written a long and deeply affectionate letter to her father imploring his forgiveness for the deception and unfilial conduct which on her part must so deeply have grieved him She pleaded for her right to happiness in words of impassioned eloquence She pleaded for her right to love and to be loved for her right to a home Which a husband's devotion would make a paradise for her this letter she had sent by special courier to her father and the very next day she had his reply she had opened the letter with trembling fingers fearful lest her father's harshness should mar the perfect serenity of her life she was afraid of what he would say for she knew her father well knew his faults as well as his qualities his pride his obstinacy his unswerving determination and his loyalty to the king's cause all of which must have been deeply outraged by his daughter's high-handed action but as she began to read astonishment amazement at once filled her soul she could hardly trust her comprehension hardly believe what she read could indeed be reality and not just the continuance of the happy dream wherein she was dwelling these days her father gently reproachful had not one single harsh word to utter he would not he said at the close of his life after so many bitter disappointments Stand in the way of his daughter's happiness You should have trusted me my child he wrote and indeed Yvonne could not believe her eyes I had no idea that your happiness was at stake in this marriage or I should never have pressed the claims of my own wishes in the matter I Have only you in the world left now that misery and exile are to be my portion Is it likely that I would allow any personal desires to weigh against my love for you? Happy as she was Yvonne cried cried bitterly with remorse and shame when she read that letter How could she have been so blind so senseless as to misjudge her father so? Her young husband found her in tears and had much ado to console her He too read the letter and was deeply touched by the kind reference to himself contained therein My lord Antony is a gallant gentleman wrote monsieur le duc de kernogan He will make you happy my child and your old father will be more than satisfied All that grieves me is that you did not trust me sooner a clandestine marriage is not worthy of a daughter of the Kernigans. I Did speak most earnestly to monsieur le Duc," said Lord Tony reflectively When I begged him to allow me to pay my addresses to you But then he added cheerfully I am such a clumsy lout when I have to talk at any length and especially clumsy when I have to plead my own cause I suppose I put my case so badly before your father my dear that he thought me three-parts an idiot and would not listen to me I Too begged and entreated him dear she said with a smile But he was very determined then and vowed that I should marry monsieur Martin Roger Despite my tears and protestations Dear father. I suppose he didn't realize that I was in earnest He has certainly accepted the inevitable very gracefully Was my lord tony's final comment Part two Then they read the letter through once more sitting close together he with one arm round her shoulder She nestling against his chest her hair brushing against his lips and with the letter in her hands Which he could scarcely read for the tears of joy, which filled her eyes. I? Don't feel very well today the letter concluded the dampness and the cold have got into my bones Moreover you two young lovebirds will not desire company just yet But tomorrow if the weather is more genial. I will drive over to Coomwich in the afternoon And perhaps you will give me supper and a bed for the night Send me word by the courier who will forthwith return to bath if this will be agreeable to you both Could anything be more adorable more delightful It was just the last drop that filled Yvonne's cup of happiness right up to the brim Part three the next afternoon. She sat at her desk in order to tell Lady Blakeney all about it She made out a copy of her father's letter and put that in with her own and begged dear Lady Blakeney To see Lady Fawkes forthwith and tell her all that had happened She herself was expecting her father every minute and mill or Tony had gone as far as the gate to see if the barouche was in sight half an hour later monsieur de kernigan Had Arrived and his daughter lay in his arms happy beyond the dreams of men He looked rather tired and wan and still complained that the cold had got into his bones Evidently he was not very well and Yvonne after the excitement of the meeting felt not a little anxious about him as The evening wore on he became more and more silent He hardly would eat anything and soon after eight o'clock he announced his desire to retire to bed I am not ill, he said as he kissed his daughter and bade her a fond good night. Only a little wearied, with emotion no doubt. I shall be better after a night's rest. He had been quite cordial with my lord Tony, though not effusive, which was only natural. He was at all times a very reserved man, and, unlike those of his race, never demonstrative in his manner. But with his daughter, he had been singularly tender with a wistful affection which almost suggested remorse, and even though it was she who, on his arrival, had knelt down before him and had begged for his blessing and his forgiveness. Part 4 But the following morning he appeared to be really ill. His cheeks looked sunken, almost livid, his eyes dim and hollow. Nevertheless, he would not hear of staying on another day or so. No, no, he declared emphatically. I shall be better in Bath. It is more sheltered there. Here the north winds would drive me to my bed very quickly. I shall take a course of baths at once. They did me a great deal of good before, you remember, Yvonne, in September when I caught a chill. They soon put me right. That is all that ails me now. I've caught a chill. He did his best to reassure his daughter, but she was far from satisfied. More especially as he hardly would touch the cup of chocolate which she had prepared for him with her own hands. I shall be quite myself again in Bath, he declared. And in a day or two, when you can spare the time, or when Milor can spare you, perhaps you will drive over to see how the old father is getting on, eh? Indeed, she said firmly, I shall not allow you to go to Bath alone. If you will go, I shall accompany you. Nay, he protested, that is foolishness, my child. The barouche will take me back quite comfortably it is less than two hours drive and I shall be quite safe and comfortable You will be quite safe and comfortable in my company She retorted with a tender anxious glance at his pale face and the nervous tremor of his hands I have consulted with my dear husband and he has given his consent that I should accompany you But you can't leave Milor like that my child he protested once more he will be lonely and miserable without you Yes, I think he will she said wistfully, but he will be all the happier when you are well again, and I can return to Coomwich satisfied Whereupon monsieur le Duc yielded he kissed and thanked his daughter and seemed even relieved at the prospect of her company The barouche was ordered for eleven o'clock and a quarter of an hour before that time Lord tony had his young wife in his arms bidding her a sad farewell. I hate your going from me sweetheart He said as he kissed her eyes her hair her lips I cannot bear you out of my sight even for an hour let alone a couple of days Yet I must go dear heart she retorted looking up with that sweet grave smile of hers into his eager young face I could not let him travel alone could I? No, no he assented somewhat dubiously, but remember dear heart that you are infinitely precious and that I shall scarce live for sheer anxiety until I have you here safe once more in my arms I'll send you a courier this evening she rejoined as she extricated herself gently from his embrace and if I can come back tomorrow I'll ride over to Bath in any case in the morning so that I may escort you back if you really can come I will come if I am reassured about father Oh, my dear Lord she added with a wistful little sigh I knew yesterday morning that I was too happy and that something would happen to mar the perfect Felicity of these last few days You are not seriously anxious about Monsieur Le Duc's health dear heart No not seriously anxious Farewell milor it is au revoir a few hours and we'll resume our dream Part 5 There was nothing in all that to arouse my lord tony's suspicions all day He was miserable and forlorn because Yvonne was not there, but he was not suspicious Fate had a blow in store for him from which he was destined never wholly to recover, but she gave him no warning no premonition He spent the day in making up arrears of correspondence for he had a large private fortune to administer trust funds on behalf of brothers and sisters who were minors And He always did it conscientiously and to the best of his ability The last few days he had lived in a dream and there was an accumulation of business to go through In the evening he expected the promised courier who did not arrive But this was not the sort of disposition that would fret and fume because of a contretemps Which might be attributable to the weather it had rained heavily since afternoon or to sundry trifling causes Which he at Coomwich ten or a dozen miles from Bath could not estimate He had no suspicions even then how could he have how could he guess? Nevertheless when he ultimately went to bed It was with the firm resolve that he would in any case go over to Bath in the morning and remain there until Yvonne Was able to come back with him Coomwich without her was anyhow unendurable Part 6 he started for bath at nine o'clock in the morning it was still raining hard it had rained all night and the roads were very muddy he started out without a groom a little after half past ten he drew rain outside his house in Chandos buildings and having changed his clothes he started to walk to Laura place the rain had momentarily left off and a pale wintry Sun peeped out through rolling banks of gray clouds he went round by way of Saw Close and the upper borough walls, as he wanted to avoid the fashionable throng that crowded the neighborhood of the pump room and the baths. His intention was to seek out the Blakeneys at their residence in the circus after he had seen Yvonne and obtained news of m le duc. He had no suspicions. Why should he have? The abbey clock struck a quarter past eleven when finally he knocked at the house in Laura Place long afterwards he remembered how just at that moment a dense gray mist descended into the valley he had not noticed it before Now he saw that it had enveloped this part of the city so that he could not even see clearly across the place a woman came to open the door Lord Tony then thought this strange considering how particular Monsieur le Duc always was about everything pertaining to the management of his household the house of a poor exile, he was wont to say, but nevertheless that of a gentleman. Can I go straight up? He asked the woman, who he thought was standing ostentatiously in the hall, as if to bar his way. I desire to see monsieur le duc. Ye can walk upstairs, sir, said the woman, speaking with a broad Somersetshire accent, but I doubt me if you will see his grace the duke. He's been gone these two days. Tony had paid no heed to her at first. He had walked across the narrow hall to the oak staircase and was halfway up the first flight when her last words struck upon his ear Quite without meaning for the moment, but nevertheless he paused one foot on one tread the other two treads below and He turned round to look at the woman a swift frown across his smooth forehead Gone these two days he repeated mechanically. What do you mean? well is grace left the day afore yesterday thursday it was is man went yesterday afternoon with luggage and such He went by coach he did leave off she cried suddenly. What are you doing you're hurting me? For Lord Tony had rushed down the stairs again And was across the hall gripping the unoffending woman by the wrist and glaring into her expressionless face until she screamed with fright I Beg your pardon he said humbly as he released her wrist all the instincts of the courteous gentleman arrayed against his loss of control I I forgot myself for the moment he stammered Would you mind telling me again what what you said just now? The woman was prepared to put on the airs of outraged dignity She even glanced up at the malapert with scorn expressed in her small beady eyes But at sight of his face her anger and her fears both fell away from her Lord tony was white to the lips his cheeks were the colour of dead ashes. His mouth trembled. His eyes alone glowed with ill-repressed anxiety. "'Is Grace,' she said with slow emphasis, for of a truth she thought that the young gentleman was either sick or daft, "'Is Grace left this house the day afore yesterday in a higher barouche. "'Is man, Frederick, went yesterday afternoon with the luggage. "'It caught the Bristol coach at two o'clock. I was his grace's housekeeper, and I am to look after the house and the servants until I hear from his grace again Them's my orders. I know no more than I'm telling ye But his grace returned here yesterday afternoon argued Lord Tony calmly Mechanically as one who would wish to convince an obstinate child and my lady Mademoiselle Yvonne you know was with him no no said the woman placidly His grace hasn't been near this house come Thursday afternoon and his man left yesterday with the luggage Why she added confidentially he ain't gone far It was all settled that I didn't know nothing about it to myself till I seed mr. Frederick start off with luggage Not much luggage neither it wasn't Sure, but his grace'll be home soon. He can't a gone far not with that bit of luggage sure but my lady mademoiselle Yvonne Lord, sir, didn't you know why it was all over the town on tuesday as our mademoiselle had eloped with my lord antony Dewhurst and yes yes but have you seen my lady since not clapped eyes on her sir since she went to the ball come monday evening and a picture she looked in her white gown and did his grace leave no message for for anyone no letter ah yes now you come to mention it sir mr fredericks he give me a letter yesterday is grace says he left this year letter on his desk. I just found it, says he. If my lord Antony Dewhurst calls, says he, give it to him. I've got the letter somewhere, sir. What may your name be? I am Lord Antony Dewhurst, replied the young man mechanically. Your pardon, my lord, I'll go fetch the letter. Part seven. Lord Tony never moved while the woman shuffled across the passage and down the back stairs. He was like a man who has received a knockout blow and has not yet had time to recover his scattered senses At first when the woman spoke his mind had jumped to fears of some awful accident Runaway horses a broken barouche or a sudden aggravation of the duke's ill health But soon he was forced to reject what now would have seemed a consoling thought Had there been an accident he would have heard a rumor would have reached him Yvonne would have sent a courier He did not know yet what to think. His mind was like a slate over which a clumsy hand had passed a wet sponge. Impressions, recollections, above all a hideous nameless fear, were all blurred and confused within his brain. The woman came back carrying a letter which was crumpled and greasy from a prolonged sojourn in the pocket of her apron. Lord Tony took the letter and broke its heavy seal. The woman watched him, curiously, pityingly now. For he was good to look on and she scented the significance of the tragedy, which she had been the means of revealing to him But he had become quite unconscious of her presence of everything in fact save those few sentences written in French in a cramped hand And which seemed to dance a wild saraband before his eyes Milor you try to steal my daughter from me, but I have taken her from you now By the time this reaches you we shall be on the high seas on our way to holland thence to coblentz Where mademoiselle de kernogan will in accordance with my wishes be united in lawful marriage to monsieur Martin Roger whom I have chosen to be her husband She is not and never was your wife as Far as one may look into the future I can assure you that you will never in life see her again and to this monstrous document of appalling callousness and cold-blooded cruelty there was appended the signature of André Diodonné, Duc de Kernogan. But unlike the writer thereof, Lord Anthony Dewhurst neither stormed nor raged. He did not even tear the execrable letter into a hundred fragments. His firm hand closed over it with one convulsive clutch, and that was all. Then he slipped the crumpled paper into his pocket— Quite deliberately he took out some money and gave a piece of silver to the woman I Thank you very much. He said somewhat haltingly. I quite understand everything now The woman curtsied and thanked him tears were in her eyes for it seemed to her that never had she seen such grief depicted upon any human face She preceded him to the hall door and held it open for him while he passed out after the brief gleam of sunshine it had started to rain again But he didn't seem to care The woman suggested fetching a hackney coach, but he refused quite politely quite gently He even lifted his hat as he went out Obviously he did not know what he was doing Then he went out into the rain and strode slowly across the place End of chapter 5